0: everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux Okay, this week we get to hear from Chris Butler Chris was the guitarist and primary songwriter of one of the most quintessential American new wave bands ever, The Waitresses You guys probably remember The Waitresses They came out of that Akron, Ohio new wave scene in the late 70s, early 80s It birthed bands like Devo and Perubu Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders came from this area. In fact, Chris was in a group called The Numbers Band with Chrissy Hine's brother back in the day. They are primarily known, the waitresses, for two big tracks. This one right here, I know what boys like, I know what guys want, everyone knows this. And then, what has become sort of holiday standard, Christmas rapping. You're not gonna believe the business side of Christmas rapping, crazy. The band only lasted two albums, Wasn't Tomorrow Wonderful and Bruzology. I love both those albums. And then they broke up and that was pretty much it. And ever since then, he has done a number of other projects, produced people, put out solo albums. We talk about a lot of that stuff in here. Patty Donahue, the lead singer of The Waitresses, unfortunately she died of lung cancer in 1996. And he talks pretty openly in here about the sort of dynamic within the band, working with her, what she was like, The other band members, that kind of thing. Everyone went on to do really interesting things. You're going to learn so much about this guy. He has had such a life. For starters, he was there. He went to Kent State, and he was there the day of those shootings. And then you won't believe some of the things he's worked on, including the house he lives in. So why don't we kick this off? He called me from his home in Ohio, and you're going to find out in a minute here, why his home is historically significant. It's nuts. Sucker. <laughs> I know what boys like. I know
1: what guys want.
2: we begin Yahoo Don Dixon Um, yeah you know he's kind of right down the road I mean a long way right down the road for me I'm in Akron he's in Canton and uh, I don't see him and Marty enough really but we cross paths every once in a while he and she are wonderful people I was really glad that he
0: agreed to talk to me he was so nice Yep. and um, yeah we got to go through the whole history his solo career the production jobs it was Great. I wondered if you knew
2: him when you were telling me that you were still in Ohio. I live in a rather notorious house, and um, from time to time we have um, Halloween parties, and <laughs> they came up from Canton, and um, uh, it was wonderful to see him. So uh, that's 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 yeah, great.
0: that's funny. That was going to be my first question. I read somewhere that you live <laughs> in the Dahmer house. Yeah, what is this? Explain. Um,
2: I'm speaking to you from the murder room at Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood home in Bath, Ohio. No way. Where? Way? Where he killed and other things. Uh, his first victim uh, in June 1978. Wow. I purchased this house. I'm not a ghoul. I purchased uh-huh. Uh-huh. this house in 2005 and um it's a lovely mid-century modern house with an incredibly positive vibe and um a uh, tarnished history um which really you know doesn't play into what me and my girlfriend um think about it or yeah. do or whatever no it's not haunted other than by um other people's uh fear i was shocked at uh how many of my college educated smarty pants friends you know kind of believe that. ask me you know is it haunted you see ghosts right right you know it's just a house right and it's a lovely house it feels real good here and we try and do good creative work here and that's what I would like it to be known for. Is four four eight zero West Bath Road, it is a place of love, harmony, and creativity. I imagine you getting with a
0: realtor, and the realtor says to you, "Okay, Chris, come here. I uh, I, ha- I want to show you this house, but
2: I got to tell you, there's a little bit of a history here." There was a realtor's number, and I called the number, and I said, "Oh yeah, yeah," and you can come and see it. And I saw it on the inside, and it was wonderful, and it was, you know. They're shrewd, so they, you know, they waited twenty four hours and, you know, for me to ruminate and say, "Boy, I love this place," and then came the phone call. Really? Yeah. By the way, you know, we're not sure about the law on this because it turns out Ohio law swings both ways. That you either need to disclose. There's one case history where you need to disclose, and the other case history is where you don't need to disclose. But um, they uh, they decided to disclose and. Uh, you know after I you know could could breathe again uh, right. <laughs> uh, uh, i I thought i I, I really got to do this um it, it was within my budget it was not cheap but it wasn't you know outrageous considering where the bath is very oh boy bath is country suburbia horse farms horse farms leBron James uh, <laughs> all of right. this and, and and then there's this house, and this is a very very nice suburban, very white suburban town. A lot of Trump signs. This is oh goodness. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, okay. Then in the middle of this kind of um, colonial, you know, this is a town that loves to claim its colonial heritage, and everything is tricorded hats and. You know, just uh, <laughs> celebrated its, you know, 200th anniversary and, uh, yeah. oh, it's, it's all very, um, admitted man and patriotic. And then in the middle of it is this.
0: Jeez. Now I don't know enough about, or don't remember, I guess, Dahmer's history enough to know when he killed, he killed someone literally in the room you're sitting and talking to me in right now in 1978, how old was he? And was it just one person or was there
2: more than one in that room? There was one. Well, he had to kill somebody. Uh, Okay, so it was a a kid he picked up hitchhiking called Stephen Hicks. Uh. He had been abandoned by his family here, which probably really triggered his mania. Um, Both parents were in the middle of a terrible divorce and um, um, each thought the other was going to take care of Jeff. So they both left. And uh, Jeff got stuck here. The electricity got turned off. He was by then a raging drunk. He had just graduated high school. And yeah. he picked up this kid, and the kid wanted to leave after they got high and whatever, um, yeah. drank a lot of beers. And Jeff said, no, 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 don't leave, don't leave. And when the kid was walking out through this room, uh, Jeff clocked him with a uh, exercise weight. Yeah, yeah. And knocked him unconscious, and then finished the deed Oh my God. um a good google search will fill you in on the detail okay Okay. Time. you know it just um it gets worse yeah i believe it i i believe it it gets worse okay okay uh, but wow. the house never killed anybody and yeah uh, you know so uh yeah it it has a history
0: well that's uh i admire you i mean that just gives it all this character you know i mean I'm not. I don't. I don't believe in haunted houses or ghosts, or So I wouldn't be concerned about that.
2: I would love having the story to tell. You know. Well, I have to say I'm reluctant to, and I'm. I don't try to exploit it. I did do a couple, kind of ghost hunt TV shows. Uh, one from, you know, one from Japan, one from. Uh, uh, you know, one of those. You know, paranormal ghosts. Uh-huh. And I regretted it because I just thought you know this is not. Uh, this is not cool. It's not cool for the victims' families. and oh, yeah. And also, it's... Hard and Can I cuss? Sure, yeah. It's bullshit! <laughs> you know, they had these people in here who were... You know, they're... This one guy was... He was brilliant. He was brilliant. He should be in the uh, Trump... Uh, cabinet he was such a such, a, such all a, the best people all yeah. best people um he was such a uh he, he had the uh, the mc for the show just conned he was at old Carney and uh we did all kinds of you know uh uh seance type things and they had a thing called a uh, frank's box which is supposed to be a uh, electro it's a radio tuner that it's supposed to pick up, you know, uh, the the dead. Supposedly try and contact us, you know, between the cracks between channels. Right. So this 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 thing can split frequencies, you know, in, into subcarriers and all this. You know, this this woman MC didn't have a clue about what how radio works, and and you know, there's this... <laughs> you hear that. <laughs> Said, "Stop, Jeff! Stop. Hear that?" I said, I know.
0: you know. Right. Well, good. What a way to start this! I had no idea we were gonna get so much gold. Right. <laughs> That's great. All this gold right out of the gate. Now, the thing I wanted to mention to you is uh, when. So, I'll be. I'll be completely honest. I am fairly new to the waitresses. Okay. Uh, within the last maybe couple of years. Because, of course, I knew the songs, I heard them on the radio, and I was always under the impression that it was sort of like a little bit of a one-trick pony, you know? Like, I, okay, I get it, I know, I, I don't need to go buy an album or dig deeper, I see what that's gonna be, and I get it, I don't need it. And eventually, I think it was probably from hearing Christmas rapping so many times, Ooh. I thought, I... Maybe I'm wrong here. You know, let's go. I love New Wave. I love the bands that I can tell this band is influenced by. Let's go dig deeper. And I absolutely love it. So, um, but the thing that I keep coming back to is I keep thinking about that line in the Jack Nicholson movie, As Good As It Gets. How do you write women so well? (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, it's bizarre to me that you're writing the words and Patty is speak singing them. Uh, How did you find, I mean, maybe that's a dumb question, but you're like a genius at this. How did you do that? Uh,
2: I I, I wince at the word, but thank you. Um, Sure. I never thought it was any big deal. First off, everything is going to be at some point, some kind of first person. But I also, you know, like women and am interested in women. And this was also a day and age when... This is early 80s when I think second or third wave feminism was coming on and it was very um, uh, much in uh, the zeitgeist and I wanted to educate myself and um, know the enemy in some sense. But it wasn't that difficult other than just, you know, uh, um, assume a character, assume. I mean, Shakespeare wrote for women. Everybody writes for women. Um, you know, I'm not comparing myself to Shakespeare, but I did run things by my women friends all the time, though. And I would do a little research and ask, you know, am I coming at this the right way? Am I understanding this? Is there something I'm missing here because I'm a, you know, dumb man? That's really all I can tell you. Um, okay. Thank you. Um, I did my
0: best. Yeah, well, you nailed it. So what I'm curious about is that... Um the pairing or the partnership of you and Patty, I can't imagine anyone else uh, being the instrument for your music. I mean, you know, being from Akron, Chrissy Hind is there. Chrissy singing those songs is not her in her best light, and it doesn't reflect you in your best light either. However, you and Patty coming together—that sort of, you know, disinterested, almost lackadaisical approach to these very insightful. Female thoughts like you know wasn't tomorrow wonderful and pussy strut and all this kind of stuff that's coming from you. It's one of the best pairings ever. I mean, when you were writing these songs, did you have would you, if you had had a male lead singer, would you have still
2: written these songs or were you writing specifically for Patty? Really good question. Thank you. Because you know I've kept writing and for myself a couple answers. First off, how did how did we hook up? Well, I was in a band also called Tin Huey, and I uh, had come up with a song called The Comb with my friend uh, Liam Sternberg, and we had done a backing track, and I needed someone to sing on it. And uh, our local watering hole was called Walter's Cafe in downtown Kent. I went there uh, at lunchtime, and I stood on a chair, and it's all filled with all the hipsters and artists and musicians and um, poets. And and I banged on a beer bottle and I said, you know, I have this song. Does anybody want to sing on it? Everybody's talking about getting out of town. We have this opportunity to make a record and this uh, English record company sniffing around called Stiff. Uh, uh, anybody want to sing on this and Patty who was uh, enjoying a liquid lunch uh, raised her hand and said yeah and I knew her through David Robinson and Patty came over and I taught her the words and she sang it and okay that was that and then, then Patty you know would come and go from college we kept bumping into each other and I kept coming up with songs and, and then I came up with I Know What Boy's Like and and uh, we, we kind of just Kept going or not going because she would split. And, you know, after we ran Of cross, I moved to New York in 1979 and um, was able to uh, sell uh, Boy's Like to a division of Ireland Records called Antilles. And they said, hey, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to do a single uh, where uh, we need a B-side where's your band? Ooh, uh, 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 well, because The Waitresses did not exist. It was a totally hypothetical band because right. I was in other bands and then uh, either I got fired from these bands or Ted Huey kind of ran its course on our, you know, our, our Warner Brothers contract and I didn't want to have anything to do with bands anymore. But, you know... They needed a B side, and um, Patty was in Kent, and I Western Unioned her my last fifty bucks, and she came um, to New York, and we recorded the song "No Guilt" with the wonderful Ralph Carney on saxophone. You know, they released a single and it became a, you know, modest college radio hit. And it was like, OK, we come to the crossroad, Patty. Um, yeah. You know, do we make a band out of this? And um, and she was a trooper. And Good. she said, yeah. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I know what boys like is kind of teasy and sexy and but so I, I and I know and, and no no guilt was my reaction to it mm. thinking uh, okay I need to balance the you know with it, with another I need to balance the boys like character with somebody who is um, more thoughtful and more realistic. All the songs I wrote for The Waitresses really were an attempt of running running away as fast as I could from the persona of I Know What Boy's Like to try and, you know, paint a, uh, a broader picture huh. of a female and more aspects and, you know, show confusion, show dignity. Yeah. Show self-reliance, show, show vulnerability, you know, all that stuff. Show fun, spirit of fun. Sure. Um, you know, all kind of trying to balance the sexy tease, uh, right. the cock teaser that was in that that song, and um, so that's huh. how it all developed. Does, okay, does that answer
0: your question? Yeah, it does. And you know, I read somewhere that um, you two, you and Patty, were never a couple or dated or anything like that. No, nope. but yet this. Um, I guess what I want to know is that because her. Your writing is so singular, and her persona is so singular. Yeah. Did getting to know her and seeing what she was about, did it unlock your creativity? You know what I mean. Like, was are you th- are you writing differently because you think I have this Patty Donahue as my instrument, and she is
2: going to nail this? Oh or, no, no! You know no. what I mean? No no. That's, no, no, that sounds too uh Svengaliish. Oh uh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, No, no, no. Uh, I knew her as a fun, uh, smart, funny, uh, tough uh, woman who had, and in fact, I was really careful about this. It didn't work, which we'll get to later on, because she had been abandoned, if not abused by her father. So I was very, very, very aware of me as a man trying to you know manipulate or do it you know which which is you know she had never been in a band and you know didn't know anything about the music business and all of this and i would I really really, really was careful to protect her and do the right thing by her and you know uh be always square with the money and and you know give her props and and uh, do everything right but I never really thought that you know there here's my muse here's my okay here's my uh you know my mouthpiece for yeah. my deepest interest no 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 it was more it was more like i i, I was grateful to have somebody who could act the role the roles that i was writing and uh-huh. deliver them and that was about as deep as it okay. as, as it got you know you i, I think you're thank you but you're gonna be a little too much too much credit there well- um,
0: It's just such this perfect pairing. Going back to what I mentioned before, let's say, hypothetically, Chrissy Hind is your front woman. Are you still writing those same songs and she's singing them?
2: I don't think so. I mean, I I branched out on my... Well, it's funny. It's funny because when the whole thing blew up, I um, was incredibly depressed and it was terrible. And I decided that I was going to write my way out of it because that's all I knew how to to cope with this. And I thought that if we ever came to our senses, we're going to need material and we're going to need an album's uh, worth of stuff. And after 83, 84, all that, I wrote an album's worth of stuff, but I made it gender neutral Mm -hmm. so that if if she came back, she could. You know, I could we could switch the pronouns, and 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 um, you know she could make it her own, or if if I decided to stay in the business or whatever, or if somebody wanted to cover a song, um, uh, you know we could make it a, a masculine gender. So, but I, I did write a uh, an entire album. In fact, I've been dipping into it. You know, uh, even the last record I put out called "Got It Together." It's got demos, uh, the last of the demos from really from that time period on there. Okay. Huh. I listened to that on Spotify,
0: but you know, you don't know what you're listening to on Spotify. I didn't know that was the history. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Now, um, so let me maybe this is an odd question. I don't know. I know that at one point Holly Beth Vincent filled in, I believe, after Patty left for a little bit. Yeah. Right. Um she <sighs> I mean this respectfully. She's a little bit of a trip. I reached out to her about a year ago to come on, to come on here. Oh, and you, she, are,
2: you are good.
0: She, uh, she agreed to because come you're on. You're a diplomat, sir. Yes.
2: I'm not sure I can be as diplomatic.
0: Okay, that's, that was going to be my question, because she said she would come on, and then she the day of, she said, wait, is this an interview? And I said, yes. And she said, I don't do interviews. And she got really mad and huffy about it. And We were friends on Facebook and she kept posting. I don't do interviews. Stop asking me to do interviews. The music speaks for itself. And I'm like, well, you don't have to announce to the whole world that I we were going to do an interview here. I just wanted you to come on my show. So anyway, I uh, OK, well, I guess I don't need to ask that. I was curious if there was ever, you know, a temptation to pair back up with Holly Beth Vincent and have her sing these waitress demos that never got fulfilled. <laughs> uh, never mind. okay, I know the answer to that. <laughs> okay
2: here, no here no. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the. Okay, I'll give you the dirty low down. Okay, so Patty runs out on us when we're recording in England and she finishes all but one of her vocals. And um, Tracy steps in, our wonderful, wonderful pro bass player, mm-hmm. indescribably wonderful person and musician. Tracy Wimworth is. Um, so great. She steps in, does the vocal, and the question come, becomes, do I continue? What do I do? What do we do? Someone suggested Holly Beth Vincent. And I knew, of uh, you know, tell that girl to shut up and uh, all of that. She was very much on the scene. She is so out of my league. You know, I'm this nerdy Ohio guy that still smells like manure, even though I've been four four years, it was three, four years in in New York, but she's dazzling, okay, and, you know, Johnny Ramone's, on Johnny Ramone's arm, uh, Joey Ramone, sorry, Joey Ramone, well, maybe on Johnny's too, I don't know, Um, Joey Ramone's arm, and she needs a gig, because she had lost her record deal and uh everyone said oh great idea great idea okay yeah yeah, let's let's do this and we met and and she's you know interested and and i thought oh this is great here's somebody here's somebody with you know i i could expand because she's a has much more of a vocal range than patty and she's she can write she's musical she can play and this is this this could be you know cool and um we rehearse, and she's great, and we do a couple shows, and she's very good, and I, 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 um, I hope that uh, we can do this. And our manager goes, to, okay, great, you're back up. You're back up. And um, we book a show at Columbia University, and uh, in the fall, it's filled with like 500 students, and we're ready to go, and Holly doesn't show up. Oh, no. That just broke it for me. She called a couple days later and said, I'm sorry, I just couldn't do it. Now, I I don't know what that means. Yeah. And that kind of broke, that kind of broke. Okay. Uh, I
0: wondered, everything you're saying is, in, I don't know her at all. We're yep. Facebook friends, and in my brief interaction of trying to get her on here and having her at first say yes and then freak out and say no, this is yeah. in keeping, unfortunately, so.
2: I don't know what to say about that. I will tell you an anecdote—a very good anecdote, though. Okay, um, Tracy Wormworth again is a mm-hmm. is, uh, is and was a well-brought-up, polite, proper young woman. Uh, church, you know, mm-hmm. uh, African-American church uh, person, uh, polite, respectful. We are playing with Holly at a, um, a university in uh, New Jersey. And um, Holly comes out, and she's wearing this very short, uh, like, ice-skating skirt. And um, there are a lot of boys coming up at the mm-hmm. front stage. And we're playing in the middle of a song, and I'm looking over at Tracy, and Holly does this twirl. <laughs> and Tracy's jaw drops because, of course— mm-hmm. HBV is not wearing any drones. <laughs> it, 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 it's in the RB tradition, I guess.
0: <laughs> so Oh, that's great. Oh my gosh. Now one of the things, one of the well first of all, was there a follow-up single to I Know What Boys Like? What what came next? Anything? Ooh, good question. Huh. Because I'm imagining, you know, it's getting some traction on MTV. I think it reaches like number 65 or something. I mean, it's it's in the it's on the radar somewhere. Is is your record label coming to you saying we're getting some traction here? Let's put out something new. All
2: oh, right, it gets complicated. It gets uh, complicated right away because Ireland had never had a number one single in England after all the stuff that they would put out, all the Bob Mar, all of that. Um, they had a number one single with uh, a new a r guy and the number one single was video killed the radio star and um the a person did not like i know what boys like so they refused to put out an album somehow we wound up on z.e we did record a record but then bang z.e lost its uh distribution they were distributed by wea under electric asylum and we were in limbo and what we did was stay on the road and we went to every college town that had a radio station that was at least playing I Know What Boys Like. And finally the record uh, came out, I think, in early, early 82. But before that, Christmas rapping took off, which we had recorded. Oh. Christmas rapping came out on their um, Ze's Christmas record. Suddenly we were radio darlings again. Yeah. And I don't think... That year, they released a single. I could be wrong. And then our manager, Cliff Bernstein, read our contract and said, wait a minute, they didn't pick up your options, ZE. Polygram would like to release your album. So Polygram and ZE did a deal, and uh, we came out on Polygram. And I'm trying to think, was there a single? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think Polygram then released... I know what boys like, and geez, you know, and I have all my own records that I don't, I don't, I don't think. Okay, there was, I don't think it was another single, huh? I was just curious. I mean, I, I,
0: in, st- I started this podcast four years ago, and in learning yeah. all this stuff, I just so many decisions that seem so strange to me were made where record labels are not capitalizing on the power on the valuable assets they have in the moment and this is another one of these times where I'm just thinking well uh, this song's getting some airplay there's a million great songs on that first album. pick one and just put it back out there let's keep this going you know but it doesn't go for who
2: knows what reason and I never understand that. I'm gonna do something that's going to shock you. I'm gonna come to defense of my label Good. I loved Jerry Jaffe, our A&R guy. I loved the people at Polygram. We all know that record companies are skeevy. We all know uh, how they play accounting games. We all know how difficult um, it can be. The record company really tried to work with us, and they really appreciated the fact that we were busting our butt, and we busted our butt. So in this case, I don't have a bad thing to say. Okay about the people that we met um i mean i do have one negative story i I did go to a sales meeting once and i got yelled at by the national sales director for selling too many records what come on word here was his rationale um the way a big bureaucratic record company works is they look at their releases and they go okay Joe Blow signed this and we got a, you know, Joe Bowles, a fender of mine. We're going to allocate $50,000 for promotion uh, for this record of uh, this record here. We haven't a clue about these people. Uh, they're lightweights. So we don't think they're going to go. We're going to give them, you know, a token $5,000 promotion. All right. Uh, we were in the $20,000 category. Yeah, they're okay. You know, people seem to like them. I don't know, you know, whatever. Anyway, Because we were selling records, this guy was um, very upset because he had to pull advertising and promotional money Mm -hmm. from other projects to kind of, uh, you know, ride the horse, the Bucky Bronco that we had kind of stimulated. Uh, Yeah. I always love telling that story because, um, you know, having a record company executive yelling at you because we were selling too much record is rich.
0: Yeah, it is. It's funny you say that. I used to work for Tower Records. Oh, right. In their their corporate offices in Sacramento. And um, I I can visualize what you're talking about because I did regional marketing as opposed to national marketing. I would see this in action. You know, U2 comes out with a big album and labels have budgets and it's in the end cap and 1A in every store in the country. Yep. But the waitresses who are big in Ohio and the Great Lakes area, they have this amount of money, and then they get put in the, you know, 1D instead of 1A end cap, and they get in the listening stations, but not the listening stations in the front of the store. They're in more kind of the indie section of the store, and there's... Miscellaneous
2: ones. Ws. Miscellaneous Ws.
0: There you go, yeah. And, you know, there's there's one waitress posters, but the walls are covered with you too. You know what I'm saying. And so... Yeah, if if uh you're if you're too popular, you're throwing off the whole balance of budgeting that they've you know have been
2: allocating forever. John, you got it. You got it. you got it. Yes, we were in the miscellaneous W. Yeah. Ch- section. You know, yeah. stuck in there. You know, was stuck in. Maybe maybe if it was a hip record store, they had a they had a, a divider for Tom Waits. Right. <laughs> You know, um, but we were in the miscellaneous W.
0: Yes, oh my gosh, that's great. Um, okay, so then Bruceology comes out, and uh, this album is still really hard to find, and uh, I don't know if it ever made it on CD, by the way. Uh, and Make the Weather is, I believe, the lead-off single off that album. I, I Yes, that was a single, yes. Okay, I, you know, I, I love that song, and in and, and getting ready to talk to you, I was thinking, why do I love this song so much? And I thought... I think it's because everybody gets a chance to shine on that song.
2: I agree.
0: You know, Mars and the drummer and the bassist and you and Patty and everybody sounds great. album to me sounds a little primitive. That's kind of a, a word that comes back to me for when I think about that. It's a little, it's so innocent, you know, it's so obviously uh, innocent and naive. And then this second one is like, let's open it up. Let's uh, get bigger and jam a little longer. And But uh, you guys managed to shine on on that song in particular. Why is that? What happened with that album? Did it just die a death? Did no
2: one ever pimp it or what? Well, that's when our band Broke up, and my band broke up in in England. And um, had to came back to do a video of that song, and that was you know there wasn't a band, and a record company. You know, once again, they do that triage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where they they divide everything up in three piles. This is going to go on its own. This we love, um, and we're going to push it. And the other pile is uh, the no hopers and that record went in the no-hope they did a token release they did do a single they want to sell records they want to recoup uh, their investment it was a minimum amount of push and there was no band to support it and pff, that's yeah. it yeah and that is show business let me let me ask you
0: a story about Patty and I hope this isn't too personal or sensitive but when you were telling me about what she was like at school kind of t- you know work being in for a quarter leaving for a quarter was she unreliable was her was she not 100% all in on being the front woman of this band was it difficult to kind of like hey focus Patty we we're the band you're our Lead singer, we need you one hundred percent here. Or am I projecting
2: a problem that wasn't there, John? This is going to be. This is such an interesting podcast because you ask the really hard questions. Oh, thanks. No, she was not reliable. Mm -hmm. She has some substance abuse problems. She. Had made the fatal mistake of having a relationship with Billy Ficka, our drummer, mm. uh, who is a character and a half on his own. Their ups and downs were mirrored in our, uh, you, know, uh, were, you know, caused our ups and downs. Uh, she uh, uh, fell in with bad companions, um, shall we say. Um, she was a party girl. And... Uh, did not particularly, you know, for a while kind of thought it was fun to do this, but it, it, when it became work, she was a good worker in the work world, but um, did not put a lot into uh, our project. And uh, and I think it, it suffered for it. Um, she was a trooper. She did, um, you know, rise to the occasion uh, more often than not. But it gradually, more and more, she did not like doing this. She said, "This is too hard. I'm, I'm, I'm not a singer. You're asking me to do this. It's so much work. I, you know." And, and um, it was a, a, a struggle. And eventually, basically, she had nothing to do while we were tracking in England. And so she kind of just pussed around. And then uh, we were up against a deadline because our producer Hugh Pageham. An engineer Hugh Padgham was going to legend a yeah, legend and yeah. gentleman Hugh Padgham um yeah. uh we were, we were having a very hard time recording and uh I was a nervous wreck, and uh, because we had so many problems with our band, Mm -hmm. um, Hugh is is, is quoted saying, you know, that Butler, um, he saw everything as a problem and um, Mm -hmm. didn't have much fun, and uh, you know, he said that as if I was supposed to have... Well, I was supposed to have fun, yeah. but, uh, no, everything, uh, looked like it was, I looked like, I looked at everything as a problem because it was, there were problems mm-hmm. and, um, we were short material. We should have waited. We should have waited. I was writing lyrics and, and songs uh, as we were recording them. I hate that. I like to be prepared. Um, mm-hmm. and Patty, you know, kind of. Uh, farted around and didn't have much to do And then it was like rush, rush, run through stuff. And, um, she hated it. Huh? I'm, I'm being real diplomatic here. I can tell, I can tell. And that's
0: fair. It's interesting to me, you, you confirming this, that sort of, those, those sort of half hearted vocals of hers that became her hallmark were not an affectation. It sounds like that's who she was. Yeah. And you know, it's, um. She was that sort of valley girl. I mean, I know that was the term at the time, or whatever,
2: you know. But now she was a good person. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. All of this, but boy, she fell in with some real scoundrels, and she was very easily manipulated. And I swear to you, I'm putting my hand on the screen. Um, you know, I was. I did everything I could to not manipulate and to educate. And 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 as I learned something, I passed everything on but eventually she turned on all of us and thought that we were, um, you know, middle her and she hated being in the business and then she quit. And then when I quit, she went back in and she mm. took the waitress's name, put a new band together. She wanted to put the band on retainer. Mm. I said, no, you know, no, no, you know, it's you and me, Chris, you know it. right no, then we had a band, I was very loyal to the band and she had this horrible lawyer who, Who wanted to uh, drive a wedge between uh, us? And it was just fucking awful. It was so awful. That's terrible. It was terrible, and it just blew up. And um, then she carried on and got another. Her boyfriend was a songwriter, and they wrote songs. and And I guess they went on for a while. Uh, Polygram didn't like the songs. Um, they didn't, you know, want to record, uh, the stuff and I guess she carried on and there were rumors that she performed very sloppily cause she was drinking too much. And, um, I don't know. Um, and then she kind of dropped out of the music business and, and got a job, um, through, I believe a friend of ours, a wonderful friend of ours, um, with ABC news, I think. And then again, you know, she wound up in music publishing. So yeah. I, I don't know. And then, of course, she, she died in, um, yeah. what, 99? 96, I think. Um, okay. Were you close to her or in contact or? No contact. Oh, other than when I heard she was really ill, yeah, I called her and tried to make some peace, and we made peace. and okay. That's about as good as it gets.
0: Hmm. That's a shame.
2: I remember calling her in September and saying, look, you know, I understand you're ill I, I wish you the best let's think about doing a, a show for charity mm-hmm. um in December you know thinking in, in my naivete maybe you know right uh this would be something to look forward to and you know all's, all's forgiven even though that's kind of a a pose on my part no all was not yeah. forgiven um but I thought you know come on why not yeah something to look
0: forward to maybe you know Fences can mend by then, but it, she was gone.
2: Yeah, she didn't make
0: yeah. it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's talk. I want to talk about some other things. This I, we, okay. I didn't mean to get so sad, but I am curious. Going back to this idea of you writing Women So Well, I am curious if you ever took any heat for the sort of Brutal honest nature of some of your songs. I'm thinking of something like thinking about sex again or pussy strut like I mentioned earlier I mean, these are these are very provocative titles very provocative subject matters for new wave songs in the 80s. Did you
2: get heat for this? Um, No heat because they're funny I balanced that by making them funny. Um, yeah. Pussy Strut is actually about uh, – it uses all the scientific terminology because at the time living in New York, there was a, a wonderful commercial for Jordache jeans. <laughs> and it was this fabulous model. And all they did for the whole 60 seconds was show her bending and jumping you know, from the waist down and the knees up. And um, I, I, I just thought, how the hell can you – Design a piece of clothing that fits like that. Um, I made a joke. Um, you know, it's all scientific terms and uh, aerospace uh, terminology, and I just made it made it silly. And um, thinking about sex again is, is also it's, it's done like um, a, you know a conga. Dum 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 dum. Mm-hmm. Dum 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 dum. dum. Uh oh, there I
1: go. Thinking about sex again.
2: So we did it as a a jokey kind of song, which I thought might diffuse the bluntness of the titles by making the song kind of, you know, bonzo doggy goofball. Um, Mm -hmm. So short answer, no. Okay. I was just
0: curious if that ever came back. You know, if anyone was like, oh, you can't write about that. You know, it was a little more conservative of the time.
2: You're right. And in fact, in fact, oh, damn, guess what I forgot Oh damn! The damn and Christmas wrapping got Hmm. censored (laughs) during the the 80s because, you know, it got bleeped. So let's talk
0: about Christmas wrapping. Year after year it gets closer and closer to being a little bit more, almost like a Christmas standard. You know? It's one of these uh, songs kind of like, I think about like the Pogues, Fairy Tale of New York, which is now one of the most beautiful Christmas songs ever, but it started out as sort of this interesting little cute indie rock song and now it's almost a standard and I feel like Christmas rapping is heading that direction. part of the success to me is that it's got one of the greatest sax riffs in history i think that's what <laughs> i think that's what elevates this song into something very magical that people want to hear over and over i, I know if i remember correctly this was a song that was just tossed off by you. You kind of weren't even thinking about it and were shocked that it became big.
2: Bullseye. Um, c- completely, utterly. We were asked uh, by our label manager at the time, Michael Zelka. He had gotten the idea that all his artists, and there were some strange artists on this label, um, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 let's do a Christmas record. And um, I thought, and we thought, oh God, we need like a whole night. Because um, I loathe Christmas; um, it was always a terrible time in my family. And I'm swamped with work, and I don't have time for this. Here I am trying to write, you know, artsy-fartsy, jazzy, experimentally, something different, but also commercial songs. And I don't have time for a cornball thing like a like a Christmas song. And um, I took a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I have work, my work tapes where I'm grunting into a cassette recorder coming up with bits and you know i'm noodling along and i come up with that About as corny as it gets, and anyway, we put this together. I am literally, and it's such a cliche, but it's true. Writing the, scribbling the words in the taxi cab on our way to the recording studio. We had kind of back bashed this thing together in rehearsal, and our wonderful engineer. Mike Friendelli. We were at Electric Ladyland, which is wonderful. And um, we meet this wonderful engineer, Mike Friendelli. And we knocked this thing out in a couple of days and completely forgot about it and went about our business to try and promote boys like and what, you know, and bang that, you know, it's it gets air. This is it was recorded in like August of 81. And then Released in you know early November in '81, and uh, the radio stations uh, in some major cities picked it up, and and we had to relearn it. We you know uh, at, at a sound check in Rochester, New York, and and played it that night. Um, uh, Patty reading the lyrics from a legal pad. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And it went away for about ten years, and then yeah. it's, it's come roaring back. And and uh, in fact, it's more popular in England. Than here to the point where a gentleman is uh, working on a documentary. Well, let me ask you. I mean, we try
0: to sensitively cover the business side of things on here. Sure. um, I I mean, with a perennial hit like that, are you? I don't even know. Can you live off Christmas wrapping royalties? Yes. Yes. You can. Yes. Okay.
2: Um. It. uh, You know. Um. (sighs)
0: Um, amazing i mean let's stop let's stop for a second and just soak that in this song that you tossed off without much thought and is a big deal once a year for a month or two is uh so successful now granted the spice girls covered this thing so that doesn't hurt but and
2: (laughs) (laughs) and iggy pop Uh, iggy pop did a version of this well, Kylie Monog did a version 2015, was it, um, Kylie? And, and she even used it in her, in her Christmas special. And some of the lines are talked by Iggy Pop. No way. No, no way. he has provided me with the world's smallest turkey Already in the oven, nice and hot Oh, damn,
1: guess what I forgot So on with the boots back by- year I'm
0: spending this one alone He said Need a break
2: This year's been crazy
1: I said me too But why are you You mean you forgot Cranberries too Then me, We laughed to laugh <laughs> Go on to what was happening That Christmas magic's brought this tale To a very happy
0: You, I mean, that's like winning the lottery. This burst of yeah. divine create creativity uh, is pays you back forever. I mean, you know that
2: is incredible. Yes, and I am ridiculously grateful, and I'm shocked every year that you know I, I figure, oh, okay, you know, come. November uh, this is the year they're not going to play it and um you know we'll be eating ramen for the next 10 years and um uh okay it's time to really cut back we need to cut back um uh you know we're we're, we're not going out to eat uh, if we are we're going to McDonald's that's it um but uh, uh what I'm really grateful for is I had the wherewithal to hold on to my publishing and a lot of yeah. people a lot of a lot of artists get in situations where I mean, I certainly starved in my time. And you want to talk about the biz? Well, yes, ups and downs. And, you know, uh, so many times people who have written something uh, find themselves in a position whether either to keep their band going or um, pay alimony or whatever. They sell off uh, a, a, a portion or um, uh, if not all of their publishing. I, I, I managed to hold on to my publishing. That is incredible. Good for you. Well, so
0: let me ask you, I mean, uh, so you have, I mean, like, for instance, there's a, it's funny when I was getting ready to talk to you, I thought, oh, this should be fairly easy. There's only a couple of waitress albums out there and uh, you know, no problem. I know the story. There's a, there's a treasure trove of Chris Butler solo material out there that I'm still absorbing. I'm still wrapping my brain around. I'm guessing because of what we just talked about, you're able to make an album out of love out of, versus necessity at this point. It's how you maybe uh, express yourself. It's a token of your creativity rather than any kind of, ooh, hopefully with my next album, I'm going to break through and regain, you know, get that holy grail back. Is that kind of where you're at mentally?
2: I never had any illusions about being out of it. Um, really? But I unfortunately... One of the few things I can do, besides generating an enormous amount of cholesterol, and I, you know, and, and uh, you know, I could play the spoons. <laughs>
0: no,
2: Those goes. are my skills. but one thing I can do is I can write songs, and I kept getting ideas, and well, you know, um, I, I just kept writing them, and then coming up with enough for an album. And plus, I like I like pranks, mm-hmm. so. One of the albums uh, is, you know, are, is, a, is a fake greatest hits from a band, that, uh, a European pop band that you've never heard of because they weren't very successful in Europe either. But I, I came up with a, a, a joke record, joke band called Kilo Pop, and um, uh, they're from Europe. And um, I was the only label in America that, that was up for putting out their greatest hits. And, um, you know, ran with that gag for a long, long time. So funny. I was very interested in antique recording. Um, Yeah, I wanted to ask you
0: about this. The song uh, Razor, what's it called? You did without electricity.
2: Razor Suit. Razor Suit, yes. Tell me about that. That is an expression... Uh, I heard from my friend Tom Goodkind, who just passed away. We were at a club, and Tom was dealing very firmly and sternly with uh, the club owner about payment. And Laura said, oh, Tom's put on his razor suit.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: um, I love that expression. One day, uh, this had to be late 80s maybe, I went to the swap meet of um, ham radio operators, and there was this machine... Um, sitting there it was a beautiful art deco design uh, with bakelite knobs and this funny kind of reel system one little reel and one big reel and it turned out to be what's called a wire recorder now Mm -hmm. imagine a tape recorder where instead of tape it records on wire and these were uh, initially invented in the 1930s Production stopped um, during World War II, but the wire systems were used as um, the equivalent of the black boxes on commercial airliners, Mm. um, on bombers and whatever, to record the missions and all this, because if they crashed, the recording material was wire, Mm. right? And Mm so it wouldn't be destroyed in flames. It's a lot more lo-fi, as you can imagine, and they're built like tanks and they're fabulous One day I come up with this bit of a song, and this is true, all my cassette machines or whatever machines were all busted, they were all in the shop, and all I had was this thing that I had bought for $25, and I said to myself, I wonder if this thing works, so I powered it up, and lo and behold, it did power up, and I thought, ah, how wicked cool. Um, I wired up a microphone, and... With great uh, fear and trembling, um, you know, hit the record button, and when I played it back, it sounded like I had time traveled. I thought this is so cool. soon i had an entire records worth of stuff that was uh recorded on antique equipment and it's called the museum of me yeah. it came out when t bone burnett had done the soundtrack to All oh brother we're out now ah uh, sure where they did new recordings of old-timey songs yep okay but i thought i flipped that i did new songs that old-timey year that's
0: amazing and, my favorite that i've come across so far, because I'm still diving into everything, uh, I think my favorite Chris Butler solo song is The Idiot Trail.
2: Oh, I'm so glad you picked that. That You know, again, you you ask me, what's it like to have a modest income and be able to blow it on, on things? It was the only time in my life I was ever able to afford and uh, do a, a string section. One, two, yahoo! <laughs> The sign says you are here, gee, what a relief, a red dot on a line of some lunatic's reasoning. What logic, what sense, so stupid it's staggering, an idiot's trail that doesn't know where it's So you know I made the classic mistake but it actually sounds pretty damn good where if you get one chance to do to write strings what do you do you take you know everything you've ever loved in you know other people's string parts. You know like here's the Bernard Herman, you know you know um, here's a a smooth glissando that um, oh God what's his name Billy Sorel Jerry Sorrell, whoever the, the the Nashville string arranger was. You know I made the classic mistake of packing everything in there. You know, thinking I would never get the chance to do this again, and I was able to uh, find a wonderful, wonderful concert master, Claudia Chopek in Hoboken, who's a super great player and great person. And she got, you know, eight of her uh, violin and uh, viola uh, chums, and I was able to do a, you know, a full-on, honest-to-God live string section. Such a wreck, it'll whack your
1: We're taking the idiot trail, we're taking the idiot trail, we're taking the idiot trail, we're taking the idiot trail. Fun can kill ya,
2: and work can kill ya, and the air can kill ya, and sex can kill ya. I guess there aren't a whole lot of options, after all. Um, the latest uh, last summer, or so, was uh, a record I made with Ralph Carney, yeah. who passed away. And but we we've been working on a project where we made silly songs on uh, obscure uh, fake holidays.
0: Yeah, songs for unsung holidays. It's it's classic. It's hilarious. It's hilarious.
2: Salami Appreciation Day. Appreciation day and- yeah, it's great. It's September 7th, folks! That means it's National Salami Appreciation Day! Hope you've got big plans for an evening out in the town, eating some delicious salami. If you prefer a relaxing meal at home, your local grocer should have a variety of delightful salamis to choose from. Or, if you're super lazy, order that pizza with pepperoni. One of the more popular types of salami. And uh, I got to do a Kent State record. I've always wanted to do a Kent State record because I was at Kent and I I never felt... uh, I could face that. Uh, yeah,
0: tell me about Kent State, because for anyone who doesn't know, you were there on May 4th, 1970, with the famous shootout. What can you, what are you comfortable telling us about that day and that, that experience and how it impacted
2: you? Well, that was the number one most traumatic event of my life. It's uh, truly horrible, and it's coming up on April. And, uh, we're recording this and. um uh, Late like March and come April, I begin to feel real, real weird because, and I never know why. And then I realize, oh shit, uh, May 4th is coming up again.
0: Really? So you have that kind of like annual unease around this time of year?
2: Yeah, well, I had, I got a really bad case of PTSD. I was uh, a, a mess for years um, after this. The fellow I was with was killed. Wow. Jeff, Jeffrey Miller was a friend of mine, and I was with Jeff, and Jeff got his brains blown out, you know, by a National guard bullet. And um, it's Jeff who is in the famous photograph uh, with the woman screaming. That's Jeff. Uh, that's your friend. That's laying there on the ground like that.
0: Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's Jeff Miller.
2: And uh, yeah, so I, 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 I had a long time trying to address this, and 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 the way I did it, what. You know, a lot of things died that day, um, uh, psychologically and sociologically. But one thing that really died was Kent was fabulous. There was art. There was music. There were um, incredible poets, uh, really creative people. Oh, that is what I wanted to capture uh, before the shootings. And I do address the shootings in one song, a cover of Fortune's Son. Mm. Oh, wow. Epilogue. When Kent State University closed after the shootings, all the students got incompletes for their grades that quarter. This meant that the men who had student draft deferments, called a 2S, did not meet the required number of credits to keep this deferment. We all became 1A, draftable, and unless we had a medical or family hardship deferment, we could be dragged into the Vietnam conflict at a moment's notice. To it was more like this is what it was like as a as a arty party kid in Kent uh, up till April 30th and April 30th is when Nixon announced that they were expanding the war into Cambodia and um, that's when the shit hit the fan across the country you know the the well oh, we're winding down the war and that you know well no then they expanded it. and that just that was the last straw. Gosh, that's incredible. Yeah, the people who were on at, on campus, Jerry Casale and Mark Mothersbaugh, um, which uh, that, they consider that the most Devo day of their life, and that was the um, uh, impetus for the band Devo. And mm-hmm. Chrissy Hine was there. So many people were at that uh, incident, right. and it changed their lives and just sent you off in a... Mm-hmm. Very weird direction. Um, you can never really be at peace with the world as it is. It's horrible. So uh, this Easy Life record was uh, me trying to make some peace with how wonderful Kent was and how awful it was when the National Guard opened fire.
0: That sounds sounds uh, impactful. Yeah. You know, not to end this on a downer, but. Uh... Well, no, I, I uh, wanted to hear this story anyway, and I had a feeling it might lead to something like this. So I'm really, I'm really glad that you were that honest with us, honestly. So let's revert, let's go another direction. Tell me real quick about Square Pegs. Okay. <laughs> I'm, because I love that show, and uh, it's another show I discovered, you know, I, I was really young at the time. I think I saw it one or, once or twice. But I bought the DVDs a few years ago, and I'm guessing, as a you know, as a struggling band, are you thinking, guys, we're gonna have the theme song to this great new television show? That's gonna be huge for us. Was that
2: that kind of thinking involved? No. Uh, uh, <laughs> Let's just say it was a it was a very hard work. It was a grueling experience. Uh, it did help us in the long run. There were not that many hip shows on TV that we. Uh, as a as a baby band or a middle level band could hope to be on, but um, we were not big enough for you know the midnight specials or um, uh, whatever Bert Sherman's jukebox or whatever. It was. Uh, we were we were too small time. We rose to the occasion. We had literally um, five hours to come up with a song. And three hours on no sleep and no food and no nothing, you know, came up with the lyrics and and we were uh, spirited away basically within 24 hours at the end of a tour off to L.A. and booked in Motown uh, studios and whipped this thing out. fun and uh then they put us on a plane at seven o'clock and we're back in new york so that is crazy yeah a whirlwind
0: well and it's a shame that the show didn't last
2: but um a lot of people love it i do i'm one of them yeah interesting people i'm a sarah jessica parker Mm-hmm. i you know she was a lead and um tracy nelson ricky nelson's daughter yeah and you guys were in the, the play
0: the dance at the, yes. the first episode, yeah. Yeah. And then Devo was in an episode later on too. Yes, they were. Yeah. So they're just pulling from Akron for this show. Yep. yep. Yeah. Good. Last question. Tell me your favorite memory. This might be considered sort of a leading question. One of the things that I was really struck by was when I was reading up on you, you were talking about a lot of the bands that were you were really into at the time, like ska bands, like Madness or the Talking Heads. Yep. And I'm wondering, those are my favorite bands too. Me and Chris have you know similar tastes. I wondered if you ever met those people. Maybe that's your favorite memory, maybe it's not. But when you look back
2: and you just think, I cannot believe this happened to me. What's the thing? I'm sitting here talking to you on a ridiculously cluttered desk. All right. (laughs) Over in one corner, though, there was a clear spot. And in that clear spot is a letter which I received in 1983. Because when our band left uh, England, uh, recorded at the Manor, XTC were going to uh, start the very next day. And I am a rabid. Hmm. XTC fan and i was you know uh, uh bummed that we were, were crossing each other and we would not meet because i just would have well maybe it was a good idea because i just would have blabbered and blubbered <laughs>
1: and
2: drooled all over andy partridge and uh anyway i i left a note on their gear and said um we didn't have a real good time here i hope you have a great time i'm such a fan um good luck with your recording and this is i think they were doing mummer the the record they did was mummer when their drummer quit so uh it, it turned out to be not a very good time with that well about a month after i got back i received a letter and i received a letter from andy partridge he was kind enough to write say yeah we had kind of a hard time too and um we heard you were a real good band, and uh, I liked uh, uh, the Christmas song. And actually, yeah, this year, he actually even said it again on Twitter. He said, man, this this song is, uh, you know, the, the magic words. I wish I'd written it. Oh, my gosh. Right? Ah, ha, ha, melt. But yeah. that was just absolutely lovely. He didn't have to write. And, um, um, you know, I, I have uh, on the upper right corner of this, cluttered desk is, is uh, Andy Partridge's envelope and I think that was absolutely sweet and touching and beautiful beautiful yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Um, and if I can self promote for one second two years ago I had Dave Gregory on the show oh is it he great he is one of the sweetest men in the world isn't and he- it's one of our very best and most popular episodes so if anyone's listening and they also like XTC and they don't know about us go back and look for dave gregory because it's one of our best episodes
2: they are all so approachable i have so many friends who collaborate with them yeah you know, they, they, they swap tapes back and forth our stevie moore and lane steinberg and um uh but you know they've all done work with him he's you know wide open to make music that's just yeah. you know they're just great they are they're great guys
0: um well chris look i thank you for doing this with me and um We could go for hours more. There's so many other things, but just the highlights here have been so profound. I'm really thankful that you told me your story because it's a unique one and it's a fascinating one. Thank Uh, you. Absolutely. Tell us now, do your plugs. You mentioned the new album. What else do you want to tell us? Well, um,
2: I got a new record. It's called Got It Together, and together is misspelled. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's supposed to be ironic, get it? Um, uh-huh. it's kind of the sister record or the, the other side of the diptych to Easy Life because Easy Life was me as a kid and, um, got it together as me as an old fart. And I, I don't, you know, do songs about kids get off my lawn or whatever, but they're, they're reasonably grumpy. But uh, my brief for this was I'm going to do songs that are for my age group. And kind of address concerns uh, or stuff you learn, you know, uh, because you lived a long life and just a different, you know, these, these aren't teenage courtship songs. And I tried to uh, look again, infuse them with humor and wit. And I took uh, as many chances with each song as musically as I could. I played most of the stuff myself. None of them sound uh, like any of the others. Um, It's called Got It Together. You can find it online, distributed through uh, the wonderful label Smog, Vale, as is the Ralph Carney and Chris Butler record uh, Songs for Unsung Holidays. They are two of a pair, I think, and they rock,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've been listening to them on Spotify and they're a blast. Well, look, Chris, uh, thanks again. I'm so grateful. Thank you, sir, for everything.
2: I'm grateful. Thank you.
0: There you have it, Chris Butler. I cannot believe all of the things that make up this guy's crazy, unique, special life. So many fascinating stories. What a guy. I really enjoyed that one, and I hope you guys did too. I have to give a huge thanks to our buddy, Paul Underwood of Glory Days Radio, for producing this episode. He steps in about once a month. He's so good at what he does. Thank you, Paul, for putting this together. It means a lot to us. He makes great interviews sound even better. I want to close it out with another song off that debut album, Wasn't Tomorrow Wonderful. It's so good. I hope you guys will check it out. The two individual albums are hard to find, but there's a Greatest Hits package. It's fairly easy to find, and it's got most of the good songs on it. Hope you have rediscovered The Waitresses, they're great. Next week, I'm not 100% sure what I'm gonna go with, to be honest. I am leaning toward the guy who wrote one of, if not the biggest 80's soundtrack song ever. Even an Oscar was involved. That probably just gave it away, but uh, that might be the one that's coming next week, I'm not 100% sure. You guys know by now you can find us on Facebook and you can like our page. You can uh, send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. We put out new episodes every Tuesday and uh, we will be having a bonus deep dive. This month's deep dive episode will be coming out in a few days. You have that to look forward to. It's great. Anyway, thanks everybody. We'll talk to you soon.